the security clearance process is complicated. Maybe you find yourself applying for a position with the national security community and then finding yourself with questions you don't know how to answer. Maybe you've held an active security clearance for decades and now find yourself wondering if you need to report that DUI or if your bankruptcy will be flagged under the new continuous vetting program. Security clearance policies are changing and it can be hard to keep up. Whether you're a security clearance applicant, defense industry hiring manager, or government agency, it's okay to have questions. We have the answers. Welcome to Security Clearance Insecurity on Federal News Radio. Brought to you by your hosts, Lindy Kaiser of clearancejobs.com and Sean Bigley. Hi, this is Lindy Kaiser with clearancejobs.com and welcome to this episode of Security Clearance Insecurity on Federal News Radio. I'm always excited so people don't take me seriously anymore, but I am excited about this episode because we're talking about Connect 2023. I feel like all of October is now Connect October for me. It's kind of a brainchild between Eric Pekinovsky and myself, VP of Marketing at clearancejobs.com. He's joined us on the podcast before to talk about pop culture, Oppenheimer. So I'm going to make him talk about pop culture again. But first, I wanted to talk about Connect because we had this idea for a conference. It's now in its third year, October 19th. What are you most excited about for Connect 2023, Eric? Well, first, I want to touch on kind of the birth of Connect. We really weren't exactly sure what we were aiming for. And that's sometimes good because when you're first doing something, it kind of ends up morphing into something that it should be over the years. I think in the beginning, we wanted it to be a little bit more around, hey, the clearance jobs product, let's get everybody who uses it. Let's talk about that. And it's morphed in over the last couple of years, kind of taking your vision of combining basically recruitment within the cleared industry and layering that on top with a lot of security clearance policy and updates, which one of the reasons that I think makes Connect so unique is that there is no other conference that deals with recruiting in the security cleared area. And especially if you're new to the industry, being exposed to the onslaught of information about security clearances really helps you in your day-to-day recruiting job. I just wanted to give at least a little bit of a background and I guess, yeah, why, why I think it's important because I don't know of any other conference that does anything like Clearance Jobs Connect does. I love that you gave that intro. I mean, I, I thought you were going to talk about the origin story of all of our good ideas, which is basically we start talking at each other and then 45 minutes later, we look up and we're like, hey, let's make this happen. I think one of the things I'm most excited about this year is that our speakers list is stacked. It is a very content rich conference, which makes sense because you allowed a director of content to plan and organize it. But there are a lot of speakers. We went a little over the top. I'm going to we'll see how it goes because we just have so many speakers and we condense so much content into one day. And that's because we're just really lucky that we get all these amazing folks. So I'm super excited about Tracy Walder, who's going to start us off. She worked CIA, FBI, and now academia, which is big. We're all about career pathways in national security. So she has a lot of great remarks around that, kind of how she got into the CIA and into this counterintelligence role. Sue Gordon, obviously former principal deputy director of national intelligence, has a great breadth of perspective on things. So I'm pumped about her. What are some of the speakers or topics that you're really excited to talk about? Yeah, I mean, one, obviously you have have uh, pumped up Sue Gordon a lot. I've seen her speaking or I've seen her name uh, connected to various events, um, but I have not yet heard her actually speak. So I am really excited 
with her. There's also a couple other contributors that we've had on the site for a number of years, one of which being Christopher Burgess, which I've never met or spoken to, but he has a very interesting career, 30 years, I think, in the CIA. Plus, he's now doing a lot of insider threat and, and security kind of work after that. We've got a lot of new speakers this year, and I just really like the kind of diverse kind of lineup we have. And, and the fact that in the afternoon, at least, there's multiple tracks and you can kind of bounce from one track to the other and decide kind of where you want to be in the afternoon, I think gives you a lot of choice and, and opportunity. I love that you can go back and forth. Again, we have the three tracks in the afternoon. Again, changing things up every year as we tend to do, which will it turn out? Who knows? Come watch. But we're willing to give it a try. And I think having those three tracks will be great. What I love about the conference is you can actually not be a clearance jobs user and come to the conference. A lot of companies have their brand conference and it's like, oh, I just spent a whole day learning about your product. So I think people sometimes were surprised that they didn't get a full day about the product. So now we have that afternoon track where if you happen to be a clearance jobs user and you want to learn more about clearance jobs, we're going to have these master classes where our customer success reps who are on the site, who are helping customers out every day are going to be on there and they're going to be able to provide great information about how to use the site better. So if you want that, but again, if you're not a clearance jobs user and you just care about the national security hiring space, so security professionals, talent folks, there is something for all of those folks to get from Connect. So yeah, that was another, you kind of mentioned it in your first response, but what does make Connect different from maybe other conferences that folks in DC might go to since there are so many? We've noticed there are other conferences that deal with situations, uh, topics that are relevant to facility security officers. We've obviously seen conferences that deal with recruiting in general, but we've never seen anything, again, that combines the two. And that was always something that I know we were striving for was to create kind of a unique experience. And this is still a unique conference that I have not seen anything come close to it in terms of kind of what's being offered. Again, if you're especially new to the industry that either is directly recruiting security cleared candidates, oversees a team, talent acquisition, or maybe even a, a program manager that, you know, a lot of times you obviously have to be involved in uh, fulfilling the, uh, the, the seats that are necessary to perform that contract. I think all of those folks would definitely have a benefit for that. Yeah, and like I said, I, I love that it has all those different tracks. Like if you are a security professional, you're gonna be able to come to Connect and get actionable takeaways for things to help you do your job better. If you're a hiring, you know, talent acquisition management professional, if you're even in probably business development proposals, there's gonna be something for you. And I love conferences where all those people from the same company can potentially come and have like team building, like, hey, we're all attending this, but we're all going to hear different things. Maybe we're going to go to different tracks in the afternoon and learn different things and be able to come together. So I think there's a lot of benefits. Okay, I'm going to do a hard pivot because I asked you about having a recurring segment to talk about pop culture because I got great feedback on our Oppenheimer podcast. People were like, where has Eric Pekinovsky been all of our life? Why are you hiding him? He's worked for clearance jobs all this time, but he's not been providing these great pop culture updates. I pitched you a Netflix documentary. You pitched me back Charlie Wilson's War to talk about. So that's my first. And okay, I have a reason. I, I didn't tell you this or warn you, but I do think I know why you picked it. Because in our last podcast, you made a little quip about does the CIA kill people? And in Charlie Wilson's War, they're kind of like, yeah, let's kill some Soviets at the CIA. They were like, let's do it. So is this just your chance to like say, yes, it wasn't, this is not just speculation, Lindy, it's in a fake 
partially maybe based on a true story movie about national security topics that the CIA does actually kill people. So no, that isn't the reason, Lindsay, that may surprise you, but it was not the reason that I picked this. This is not only have I seen this film a number of times, but it also is on Netflix and reruns. So so I've definitely seen it a number of times. It also has a very, even though the subject is very serious, it is viewed through kind of a more of a light atmosphere, a little bit of a, a comedy streak in it. And what I also really like about this is that it shows a lot of kind of behind the scenes of what it kind of takes to kind of run these operations. A lot of it is meetings with other countries that at the time have a shared interest that you may not exactly call a friendly nation, but at the time you, you have a, a shared interest and you do that to complete outcome that you're you're looking for. You know, I really enjoyed, it almost feels like a um, old pastime of Charlie Wilson. He There's a few clips of him in Congress basically trading votes to get what he wants done. And the idea that, you know, Congress used to work that way in terms of basically saying, hey, if you vote for this, I'll vote for that, or I'll get those other members to vote for this because they owe me because I voted for something else that they wanted me to vote for. Basically, getting things done in sometimes a bipartisan way, again, it's, it was nice to see that view of, of how to get things done, basically. The other thing, I thought the thing you were going to bring up, Lindy, and I think you'll appreciate this is that our friends at INSA, they had a conference a few months ago. I was away and I couldn't attend, but I wanted to because uh, their headline speaker was Mike Vickers, who makes an appearance in this movie as the weapons specialist for the CIA. A young guy, they have a little exchange in the park. And I did not, when I watched the movie, of course, I did not know. And then when I saw an email from INSA about Mike Victor's speaking, at the end I said, I wonder if that's the same guy. I did my little two-minute Googling and figured out it was actually the same guy. He was portrayed as a very, very, very smart kind of nerdy guy who was very young for the responsibilities that were given to him. He was he was in that movie. He made an appearance. Did you know that? I, I absolutely did not know that. And I can always count on you to have some little trail that you have found, some internet web or mystery that I did not know. So fun fact. No, I had no clue. I did appreciate that you got an INSA reference in there. That's that's near and dear to me. Clearly, you've looked in, you know the cast. I mean, I do know the cast is stacked. Like, Emily Blunt was in it, Amy Adams. Like, I knew, like, when you said, I have not seen it. Like, I've seen it once, and then I rewatched it this week, so I wasn't a total fool about what it was about, because I kind of remembered the general idea, but I could have told you no specifics, but rewatching it, I was like, man, I mean, the cast was was stacked, obviously. But talk a little bit, because you've done the research, about the historical accuracy of the film. I don't research things. I like to live in just an, in, a, in a mystery bubble. If I watch something, I'm being entertained. So I assume it's probably, I know Charlie Wilson was a Democratic con- congressman who was, who was wheeling and dealing during the Reagan administration. You know, there was this covert war in Afghanistan, but I think there is some debate about how accurate the film version is, correct? Yeah, so for the most part... You know, the general theme seems to be pretty accurate. I think what ends up happening, of course, is because it's Hollywood and you have to build a narrative around so many characters, you can't have too many characters in the film. Probably too much credit was given to Charlie Wilson in terms of like the amount that he was influential. He was definitely influential, definitely one of the guys who who especially got it off the ground 
But obviously he wasn't the only one that was really trying to push this and thought it was a good idea and kept it going. But he was definitely one of the central characters. But in terms of certain almost unbelievable type of situations in the movie, they in fact did happen. Charlie Wilson was kind of a partier. He did things that were not necessarily great. He was, in fact, investigated for drug abuse. Guess who investigated him, Lindy? Who, Eric? Who? Rudy Giuliani. Oh, I did. That was in the movie. That was in the yeah. movie. Yeah. He, he mentions him. He mentions him, but went after him, was able to kind of get out of that little uh, scenario. But yeah, so, I mean, he was, he was like I said, he was not clean congressman. So a lot of those, yeah, little events that you think is kind of made up, or they actually, those are the ones that are kind of true. I also looked... To the fact that there was, you know, a relationship between Charlie Wilson and I think her name in the movie was Joanne played by Julie Roberts. They did have some type of relationship dating, I, you know, something. There was definitely something there. Apparently there was, again, my 15 minute internet research, some type of belly dancer that ended up going to Egypt to kind of help seal the deal. Which, again, is one of those things where you think is probably made up. It, it's, yeah, I mean, there's some really interesting things that I was surprised that were actually true. I thought those would be the parts that were embellished. I think for the most part, what was embellished is, like I said, to try to narrow down the characters in the movie and kind of give probably more responsibility or more credit to certain characters just because they can't, you know, again, have 30 characters in a movie. Yeah. No, I mean, it was it was interesting. And it's I, I'm a total you know, DC geek. So the, any, any movie that kind of is about that, what can seem like a very boring process of the interplay between members of Congress and intelligence agencies and how everything works, I find is just very fascinating and very interesting. And there is definitely some fact, even to the fiction of it, a little bit about how it takes a lot of human personalities to get things done. And I obviously love people. So and I did appreciate the ending. I don't know if you remember the ending. Gus, the CIA agent operative, tells Charlie about the Zen master. And basically the Zen master is unintended consequences, basically. You just don't really know. You do this, something else might happen. And obviously there is some people connect the fall of Soviet Union with the rise of the Taliban and Al-Qaeda. But then you say the operation that they conducted did bring down the Soviet Union completely. It is a cascading effect of like geopolitical consequences. It is always interesting, the interplay of like politics and administrations and how that changes. And you can have one emphasis under, you know, for one person and then that changes and we're, we have different priorities and different things are happening. This is the most important question. So when they make a movie about clearance jobs, which will be like a blend of like Charlie Wilson's war in Silicon Valley or what is, what is like the, the, the startup who will play us? I mean, do or I don't want to assign other characters outside of outside of us because I don't want to make people upset for who's if I'm choosing in my head. Who is Evan Lesser, founder and president of Clearance Jobs? Did you think about this one? You know what? I didn't think about this one. <sighs> I, did you? Charlie Wilson's War had like a, a stellar cast. Yeah, and I believe either he won. I know he got nominated, but I can't remember if he won. He might have uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, who did an excellent job as Gus. I don't, I don't want Philip Seymour Hoffman to play me in the, in the movie version, though. Good film. Check it out. On that note, we'll pivot. Again, hard pivots is all we do here on the podcast. Back to Clearance Jobs Connect taking place October 19th. You can find more information over at clearancejobs.com or you can go to about.clearancejobs.com forward slash employers forward slash events forward slash clearance jobs. Or you can just Google Clearance Jobs Connect. I'm trying to give a URL out, man. 
is rough. We just just search it. Who's going to type that in? You reminded me of a early two thousands uh, commercial on TV where where they would like literally spell out the URL. I mean, you have to spell out the URL. What if people don't have access to a Google or a search engine to type? Don't, don't forget about the HTTP. <laughs> Let's Google Clearance Jobs Connect. You can chat pop culture with Eric and I there and suggest the next film. Because I thought he was going to come up with the recent one, but then he pivoted me Charlie Wilson's War. So this is a little lighthearted, which is also nice. I mean, I watched it the weekend where we were speculating about a government shutdown. So it was very timely for me. Like I appreciate it again, as you said, hearkening back to a time when Congress did things. It was a really nice dose of nostalgia for me. Even if the things they did were cocaine, it was better than doing nothing. That's what I always say. No, not if you have a security clearance. Not if you have a security clearance. Thank you for being on the show, Eric. Again, go to clearancejobs.com, register for Connect. This is Sean Bigley and Lindy Kaiser of clearancejobs.com. And we're talking this segment about, are these security clearance cases for real? This is something that I think a lot of people who have read the security clearance denial and revocation cases on the Doha Defense Office of Hearings and Appeals website or the Energy Department Energy Office of Hearings and Appeals website have probably asked themselves at some point, while some of them are uh, you know, a little more black and white, some of them also read like sitcoms. And it's astounding to me that some of these people actually thought that they were going to get a clearance. Lindy, I know you read a lot of these things. Any particularly entertaining ones come to mind? Entertaining or just appalling or shocking, all of them. There was a July 2021 case that we wrote about over at Clearance Jobs, and that was the serial upskirter and the security clearance, which I'm sure you had seen or read that one. There have been several of those. My caveat is always, too, we talk about these crazy Doha cases And I love the security clearance process and I want more people to apply. And I think sometimes you read these cases and you say, this process is completely broken. But the reality is these are just the people who are crazy enough to appeal. I think most rational people would have gotten that statement of reasons and said, yeah, nah, nah, brah, I should not have a security clearance. They're out. So these people are the folks who actually thought, no, there's a chance. And they appealed and they wrote this stuff down. So now we have a written record. One of that July 21 case, what I hated about that one is this guy was accused of upskirting in 2006 as a service member, went through some kind of a reprimand while in service, UCMJ action, whatever, but somehow was able to maintain his clearance, right? Flash forward 10 years later, he was involved in another incident I think was arrested, but again, this is where the nuance comes in. Ended up charges being dropped. They didn't have enough to build a case, but he he was actually denied his security clearance on sexual behavior grounds. So we kind of highlight that one there too, because we get a lot of accusations like, hey, why is sexual behavior still an adjudicative guideline? Everything within that should fall under criminal behavior or something else. But you do have sometimes these cases, again, because I think building up charges are difficult around some of these cases. So it gives kind of the government a lane to say, hey, this guy did something inappropriate. Even if there weren't criminal charges, there is enough here that says, hey, this is a pattern of behavior, a pattern that hasn't changed, clearance denied. But somehow he kept it the first time. So and then decided to appeal, like, just leave, just just leave, dude, just get out. That was one of my examples. You're right. There's there are a lot of these cases out there where you just kind of shake your head in disbelief that. The person didn't walk away when they got that statement of reasons. I sort of have 
a somewhat encouraging takeaway from all of this for people who are thinking about applying and who have something in their background that they're concerned about. And that's, you know, no matter how cringy you think your own background is, there's people out there who have done way worse and are not shy about going through the application process. Some of them, by the way, who have gotten approved. I used to have people call my office all the time when I was practicing law in this area and say, I've done XYZ. It was 10, 15 years ago. I'm so worried, you know, should I even bother applying? And I would often tell them, yeah, you know, these things a lot of times can be mitigated by the passage of time. You're really concerned about it, but I can tell you I've heard a lot worse and I've seen people get cleared. So there is, you know, a somewhat encouraging silver lining to all of this here. But going back to, you know, some of these crazy sample cases, um, I, I pulled a few and I mean, this is just, I mean, by, by a few, I mean, it's, it's, there are a heck of a lot more out there <laughs> that I could have pulled because we're limited on time. I pulled a few that I thought were, were kind of uh, representative of some of the folks who go through this process and seem to have an extraordinary lack of self-awareness. And so the first one was uh, a gentleman who was a self-admitted peeping Tom. This was a 2017 Doha case. He apparently was caught watching underage girls through cracks in a bathroom wall and being in possession of child pornography, which he vigorously contested and apparently claimed that it was, quote, child erotica, not child pornography. Now, where the difference is, I don't know, but that was his defense. He was insistent that he shouldn't have gotten nailed for that. Suffice it to say that the judge did not see it the same way. And so he was denied his clearance, partially also because his story evolved on the peeping, which I think really impacted his credibility as well. Second one, this is a 2012 Doha case. Gentleman reportedly fantasized about killing his neighbor and admitted to driving, riding a bike, walking in the park and jumping on a trampoline, all fully nude as a regular pastime just because he enjoyed it. Was never caught, but somehow this came out in the security clearance process, I think on a polygraph. And I think that the government uh, decided to, to take a pass on that one. <laughs> so new trampoline jumping. That's just, a, that's just a bizarre hobby right there. No, you can't make this stuff up. It's, it's incredible. Third one, 2010 case, also from Doha. This one actually, I think, is pretty astounding and much more serious, obviously, not to say that the, the first ones weren't. But this one, a woman who omitted from her SF-86 a former marriage, and she did so to avoid having to report the fact that she had been arrested for attempted murder, trying to kill her former husband when both of them were working as police officers previously. So she left off the marriage, left off the former married name, and left off the criminal history, all from the SF-86. Of course, that was uncovered with a fingerprint check, and she went down for that one. And then the last one, and also very serious, 2015 Doha case, somebody who spent 20 years in prison for first-degree murder had been paroled only two years prior, and decided that he was going to relaunch his life in the national security sector. And so, I don't know, maybe people reform and maybe he, you know, became a different person. And, and you know, I, I have no idea, but certainly the, the recency on that one proved problematic. I mean, I'm a fan of a good rehabilitation story, Sean. I don't know. That so far is the most optimistic one. Give me the, the reform murderer. That's the one I'm putting 
putting my bets on. Now, I saw this from from both sides, obviously. I get cringy about these cases because I do feel like national security careers are not for everyone. I'm always okay with there being a bar to entry. Like we do have, you don't have to pursue a national security career, right? There are specific requirements for doing this type of employment that you do not have in the commercial sector. But we also have this this preparation here for the public trust community being onboarded into continuous vetting. And I realize that hits a lot of like our blue collar workforce. That's going to hit a lot of like the manufacturing workforce. So I'm also kind of trying to do some communication around the fact of saying, what are the requirements for a national security career? And what is truly an issue that affects somebody's reliability, trustworthiness and ability to obtain a security clearance? Because we do have to have some realm of like accepting things that are a little cringy if that's not actually determinative for whether or not they'll be able to maintain trust on a shipyard. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple issues with that. One is, you know, to the point of, of reformation, if somebody's applying for something and they can credibly demonstrate, I guess I should say that, yeah, I was an idiot when I was in my early 20s and now I'm 35 years old. I've completely turned my life around and I have a track record more than probably 24 months of having actually you know, made some substantive changes in my life. Then that is, is a great mitigating factor. That's something that the government would look at in normal circumstances very closely. And somebody who boasts a track record like that does have a, a decent probability of getting cleared then you have this other issue that you brought up, which is the suitability factor or for contractors, the, the contractor fitness factor, which is effectively the same. And the government kind of expanding the aperture here and saying, well, we're going to kind of sweep in more people into this background vetting process that is going to inevitably pick up more of these things. And so you're right. There are a lot of folks out there who may have turned it around, but because of the background and because of the things that they did previously that left you know blemishes on their record, they've had a hard time finding mobility upward on the career trajectory. And so they're you know, maybe 30s, 40s doing a job that they would rather not be doing, but they're doing it because it's the only thing they can get. If that's the case, that would be a shame to, to kind of have these folks shown the door for no other reason than, you know, the background that realistically isn't an issue anymore. So I think ultimately with all of this stuff, people need to take a hard look at their own background, have a little self-awareness and say, you know, if I were hiring me at this juncture, would I be concerned? And if the answer is no, and you have a reasonable, ordinary amount of common sense, then you are probably going to be okay. But if the answer is yes, or if you're not 100% sure, you might want to talk to somebody. There's plenty of lawyers out there with expertise in this space who can offer um, you know, confidential case assessment and at least get some degree of professional opinion on this before you launch yourself into something that may not pan out. You're asking people to be self-aware, Sean. That's a that's a tough road. You know better. Hey, people that are law practice around them and people's inability to be self-aware about their own situation. And I think it is like a lot of people just do not have that awareness, but that's why it is important to have security clearance lawyers and consultants and information out there. We always say we write a ton about the Doha case at clearance jobs. We love pulling from those. I love that transparency, but your own case and situation is different. So you can kind of look at the generalities of that, but you really are going to have to look. And as you said, self-evaluate based on yourself, your criteria, your specific situation, because no two applicants are alike. Thank you for listening to this episode of Security Clearance and Security. 
Please note, the information provided on this program is intended as general information only and should not be construed as legal advice. Consult a security clearance attorney regarding your specific situation. Have a question about the security clearance process? Interested in submitting your own topic? Have a question you'd like us to address on a future episode? Drop us an email, editor at clearancejobs.com. Thank you for tuning in to Security Clearance and Security with your host, Lindy Kaiser of clearancejobs.com and Sean Bigley. Join us next time as we continue to answer all the questions about security clearance careers you have, but we're too afraid to ask your security manager.